Welcome to season two of Best in SaaS, where we talk through the patterns and playbooks in the revenue sprint to 20 million and beyond with the industry's most accomplished executives, entrepreneurs, and investors. Despite the world melting around us, we survived season one with only a few scratches and a couple of bathroom incidents from our resident Best in SaaS puppy mascot, Stuart. Wash your hands and don your favorite face mask because here comes season two. Howdy, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I am thrilled, per usual, for you to listen in on this conversation. But before we get into it, if you're a regular listener and you enjoy the discussions, do me a favor and let us know by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other folks find the show and it helps Apple realize they should feature us on New and Noteworthy. So that would be awesome. With that, enough of my blabbing. Let's get on to the episode. All right. So today I am thrilled to have Carol Myers on the show. Um, Carol has led more than four companies through IPO uh, as CMO or CRO, and now is a full-time board member and advisor to a number of companies and an LP at Stage 2 Capital. Carol, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you. I'm really excited about being here, and I'm always a little nervous with podcasts, so (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. Well, you know, we'll try to make it as painful. Oh, not painful. Painless. painless. I like it. I like it. <laughs> you, you tricked me right into following uh, your train of thinking. <laughs> so, you know, there, there's a million things we could talk about today with all of your expertise. Um, and I'm sure you have tons of stories to tell. But because this show in particular is, is generally focused on the earlier side of things, call it the, the 1 to 10, the 10 to 20 uh, revenue sprint, I think it might make more sense to talk through some of the experience and patterns that you see through your work advising and sitting on boards. Does that does that sound like a good game plan? That sounds great. Okay, so I'm curious, you know, you've been doing this for so long now and there must be patterns that have come up for you that when you get brought in as a board member or an advisor, they're kind of like the first areas that you know to dig into or to sniff around and see if they need adjusting. What are some of those? Yeah, that's great. There's a number. I mean, typically I'm brought in as a board member or an advisor having to do with go-to-market. So most of my the things I find out are around go-to-market. And I see a couple patterns. You know, One is that people are struggling with what model they should be using for go-to-market. So they maybe have been doing SMB and they want to go enterprise and they're trying to figure out how do we go do that? Because it's really hard to change the DNA of a company where you've been operating in a certain way. Or it's the other way around. I often uh, find people who are saying, we've heard about PLG, you know, product-led growth, and we want to do that. And um, they're trying to figure out if what they do is going to be appropriate for that. The other pattern I see a lot in those stages is working around um, leadership, right? And that has to do with how do leaders have to scale as the company grows? And one of the things I think people struggle with is when you're a small startup and, you know, I've, I've been at companies where it's zero revenue. When I was at Unica, um, I think the CEO told me there were uh, approaching 50 employees, but there were 25 when I joined because <laughs> <laughs> he was great that way. And I realized that because we could all sit around one table and have lunch together, which we did, which was fantastic. 
but you can do that, right? And that's re- it's really easy at a startup stage to keep everyone on the same page, to hear the CEO's vision every day at lunch, um, to connect with the, the people you're working with. And as the company get, get, grows, that gets harder and harder. And so I see a lot of companies struggle with alignment and also what, how the role of a leader changes over time within the company. And, and how do you begin to you know, work with these teams? Obviously, you're, you're coming in at a really important point of inflection for them where these decisions you know, make, the, make or break, right? So right. how do you handle these sensitive topics and, and help them get aligned and get the right people in the right seats? Yeah, I think it's something that I've... I've always gravitated towards. Um, I've been known, people have known to say, actually I was talking to a, a CEO I used to work with yesterday. And he said, you know, one of the things I remember when I brought you in is you were the calm voice of reason <laughs> at the table. And I'm like, well, that, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. But fortunately, you know, he was, he was, uh, for him at the time, it was it was a good thing. And so I really try to apply frameworks and get people to think about it. So for example, working with a company currently that's um, got a little bit of a PLG motion going, but but not really. And they want to figure out if they should do more or less of it. So we've been working on, well, let's look at what the economics are through that channel. Let's think about its strategic value in terms of, does it create a competitive advantage for you? And then let's look what it would take to be successful at PLG. In fact, just a little tip for people, if you're thinking about it, I think OpenView Partners has some of the best material on this. And they actually have a little quiz you can take that will tell you how PLG ready you are. (laughs) So we we took that quiz and we came out at about 28%. So we're like, okay, we have work to do. Um, (laughs) But that's the good news is like you can see like, okay, well, what are the things we're not doing to really be um, led by the product? And uh, we're we're working through some of those and trying to figure out, you know, do we have the right economics and how does this play into the full strategy of the company? But um, that that is like one of those really important things. A lot of people want to go product-led growth. Great things you can learn from it. It may or may not be quite right for your business. So I love how fired up you are when you talk about this stuff. What, what is it that keeps you excited about industry and what you do? Yeah, you know, I think um, it's funny. I'm working with a mass, one of the mass challenge companies right now, too. And they have a very cool product. It's a software product that gives every you can give it to your teams and they get a persona like, are they a problem solver? Are they an activator? You know, a bunch of different things. So you can assemble a team that that has the right qualities on it. And I think that I am a problem solver. (laughs) And um, uh, so I get really jazzed about solving problems, like thinking, what is this problem and how can I solve it? Um, Unfortunately, it spills over into my personal life as well. And I spend every phone call with my mother um, whenever she (laughs) tells me anything trying to solve her problem. So um, you know, I've, it's gotten to where I even have her now. She bought a, a grocery cart because she was saying she was having trouble getting to the laundry room with all her laundry. So I'm like, oh, I've got a solution. And I sent her a link. That's me. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Uh, that, that must be a conversation starter as well when someone, you know, visits your mother and sees a grocery cart hanging out in the house. All kinds of great stuff she has. Like, why do you have that? Oh, my daughter, you know. <laughs> Oh, amazing. What so on that on like solving problems? I'm curious 
you know, it's easy to talk about, especially with your career, um, all of the things that have gone so well. But what are some of the things that maybe have been some of the biggest problems you've had to solve or work through throughout your career? Maybe there are some stories you could share in your own personal growth journey. Oh yeah, let's see. Where should we where should we start with that? Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of uh, people are always like, "What's the biggest mistake you ever made?" I'm like, "Oh, you know, so many." And nothing has been deadly, so I don't think anything ever sticks out as a huge mistake. But you know, a lot of the um, the things that I've worked on that I thought are interesting and didn't always play out the way I thought they might is when we were. When I was at Unica and we were the leader in marketing automation at the time, and we, we sold to a very different market than like a Marketo or a, or a HubSpot, which people are probably more familiar with. Our customers were all the largest telcos. You know, we used to boast that we were used by 19 of the top 20 banks. You know, it's like, how can we get that last bank? Um, and we wanted to go down market. And we were just like, we're just going to do this. You know, and from a marketing standpoint, I'm like, I can message this. You know, I can. But we were always a little ahead of the product in our messaging. <laughs> you know, because taking a product that's built for really large companies and trying to retrofit it to smaller companies um, is not easy. And so I think one of the things that I took away from that was that it is important as a marketer, you do want to be leading the market a little bit. You don't want to, it's not that you're not being truthful about your products. You want to be pushing it a little bit, but you oh, you got to be a little careful about how far you push it because if you're too far ahead of where your product really is, um, it leads to wasted money. <laughs> uh, but it also just, you know, leads to some disillusionment on a team when they feel like they're not being successful. And, you know, lastly, there are always a few customers who end up feeling burned. Like you tell me this product was ready um, for a company my size and it's not quite ready for a company my size. So that, you know, those were some lessons I learned about trying to balance this idea of being forward leaning um, and not getting uh, too far over your skis, as they say. Yeah, it's, it's funny to hear you share that story because I feel like in the earlier stages, companies are always trying to move up market and they're, they're getting over their skis with, you know, we're enterprise already. We've got, you know, and, then, and then it's like you get to a certain size and as an enterprise product and then you can move into the long tail going SMB. So it's funny to hear that script flipped the opposite direction. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually think it's harder to go from being a big you know, selling to really large companies to going smaller, but you know, there are a lot of perils going the other way too, but I think it's a little easier to go from um, serving smaller companies up to larger, as long as you do it with your eyes, like wide open about what that means. Certainly. So as a, as a CMO, what, for the CMOs who are listening to this podcast, what advice do you like to give out when you, you know, are mentoring another CMO who's, who's, building their career and perhaps about to enter a big growth stage with the company. Um, what sort of advice do you like to give? One of the things I find myself talking to other CMOs a lot about is the alignment issue, right? And that is, you know, as you are going through growth stages to really capitalize on them, you got to have sales, marketing, customer success and product in great alignment, right? Because we were just talking about that. You want a product that, that's ready for the market you're going after. You as marketing need to be getting the pulse on what's happening with that, that um, customer and helping product understand it and sales understand it. You got to be investing the right way. And if you get out of sync, 
then you're kind of setting yourself up for for failure because marketing is touching with all, you know, like marketing really integrates closely with all those teams. And if you're out of alignment, it's really easy for um, the other executives you work with to, to discount marketing and get kind of disillusioned with it. So what I find myself talking to people a lot about is part of your job is that alignment, making sure those teams know what you're prioritizing on, that you they understand how you're contributing to their success um, and what you're doing to help them be successful and why you're making the choices you are. Because when you're small, usually marketing just kind of does whatever it wants, <laughs> right? There's no one to answer to. They're just, you know, they can tell one person down the hall and everybody's like, great. Um, but as you get bigger, there's many more people who are stakeholders in what marketing does and are affected by it. And so you've got to carve time out of your day just to do alignment. And I think a lot of people don't find that to be as much fun as um, coming up with a new campaign or looking at the numbers, you know? Um, and so it, that can be a hard thing. It's like, oh, really? I have to talk to all these people? You're like, yes, you do. You have to get their buy-in. <laughs> what's, what's your kind of on a tactical level, what's been your process for structuring the way that you get that buy-in and keep those other stakeholders in the loop and knowing that their priorities are also your priorities. Yeah. So full disclosure, I've tried so many things and it's partly because <laughs> even if something works for a little while, I find after a while it doesn't work that well. Um, I, I try to start with uh, what are the annual and quarterly OKRs? You know, what are yours? What are mine? How do mine support yours? You know, in some cases, how do yours, you know, dovetail in and support mine? So at least we can start with understanding what key results and objectives we're all focusing on. Um, and then, um, you know, when I'm doing something big, like a rebrand, I do a lot of making sure people are involved in the process, not just getting the end result, but being part of creating what it is. But on a quarterly basis, always trying to make sure that I have um, touch points with the major leaders and not just my peer, but, you know, the the VPs of sales who report into the CRO, et cetera, um, and going through, here's the marketing plan for the quarter. Here's what we're going to be. Here's the themes we're going to focus on. Um, here's the results we're aiming for. Here's what you can expect from us. And, and leaving enough time that they can also poke holes ask for some changes, you know, things like that. Um, because I find that it's really important for people to be aware of what you're working on. Definitely. What's, what's been the hardest lesson learned in your career thus far? The one that really maybe took you by surprise or, or like took the longest to sink in and become something that was valuable for you? Yeah. So, you know, I would say, um, especially early in your career, right, you're, you're incredibly successful. Everybody praises you. You keep getting promoted. Um, and then you, you know, you're like, you know, I really want to get to the next level and I want to be the best person I can be. And you do a 360 degree feedback review. <laughs> I don't think I've ever done one, but they're devastating. And I've, I've talked to many people about them. They're devastating. Um, and the problem with them is they're wonderful. You should absolutely do them. But the problem is there's good stuff in there. People say good stuff about you. But the only thing you look at is the negative. You're like, oh, my gosh, I never knew people saw me this way. <laughs> I thought being, you know, decisive was a strength, you know, and some people are like, you know, sometimes just does whatever she wants, you know. <laughs> so, so you realize that um, 
the truth is how other people perceive you is the reality because you only really exist. You know, obviously you have to be happy with yourself, but you do, you do realize how impactful it is um, and how important it is to, um, to understand how other people see you. So you can be more effective at working with them and you can get more done. So um, 360 degree reviews have been the most important things I've ever done. Incredibly painful, um, very worth it. <laughs> Very worth it. That's a great one. Um, so now I, I kind of have some questions that are on the more personal side around, you know, you've, I think to many people are this perfect example of what, you know, success and accomplishment and hard work uh, looks like. And now you are, you know, you're, you're at the top, right? At, at least to many people you're at the top. I'm curious when you self-reflect um, at the end of the year or, or, or however frequently you kind of look back and look forward. What are some of your next personal goal? Like what's on deck for you now? What's, what's the next mountain you want to climb? Yeah, it's great. Um, I really love doing um, the board work and the advisory work and it is a mix of paid and unpaid stuff, to be honest. So um, I would, I would just love to see some of the companies that I'm helping through that work become you know, large, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars market cap companies, and every single person in that company make a ton of money. <laughs> so I would, I would love to do that. Um, I do, you know, I am also mindful. I need to think about how I give back more. I do a lot of, I'm doing mass challenge, for example, which is um, a volunteer effort. And I do coaching with some individual people as well. But I think then the other thing I'm, trying to figure out is where I want to plug in from a more nonprofit standpoint and where could I potentially bring what I do and what I love to do um, into something that would help from a social good standpoint. So I'm still trying to figure that piece out. And I think that's an important hill I need to climb. What are some of the things that are on deck that you're passionate about? Well, you know, I love technology, so I'd like to figure out, is there something I can do there? So I don't, but I don't code. So like girls with girls who code, I'm like, oh, I can't, I don't know how to code. You know, <laughs> what would I do there? Um, I also am a bit passionate about, uh, I talk about it a lot. I haven't done anything. So there you go. But um, food deserts, you know, the fact that there are a lot of people here, even in the U.S., who don't have access to good nutritional food. And it really bugs me that um, junk food is cheaper, right? It's so much more inexpensive than Crazy. the stuff that's good for you. And that really bothers me because people have to make trade-offs with what, what they have available and, and also what's available in their neighborhoods. And so that's, a, that's something I've been thinking a lot about. I'm going to be really curious to hear if you find an organization that, that crosses technology and food desert. <laughs> there's, some, there's some companies that are doing it that are interesting. They're not nonprofits, but there are some companies that are doing it that are interesting. Huh. What, um, what do you do to like outside of working and, and, you know, giving back through, through your time and mentorship, what are some of the things that kind of recharge your energy um, outside of work? 
I am an I'm an avid workout person. Um, you know, I think people think I'm a little crazy. I usually do that at 5 a.m. in the morning. It's like the first thing I get up, I go work out. Like I don't stretch, I don't warm up, I just go and work out. And that's been something that's been incredibly important for me forever. Um, but I live, you know, I live in the city and I love to walk the city. Um, and I've recently taken up boating as well. <laughs> when you say boating, do you mean like you're you're in Boston, so I'm guessing is this rowing? No, boating, like, you know, motor boating oh, oh. <laughs> in the harbor, in the harbor, which turns out, you know, to be, I've, I've been on lakes and whatnot before, but um, turns out the harbor is a little trickier. There's a lot of um, uh, things you have to watch out for, like lobster traps. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's funny, like the commercial traffic and, and all the different variables that you don't think of until you're actually out there doing it. Uh, I, I sail on on the San Francisco Bay, and it's just like there's so many things you need to learn before it, you know you can feel comfortable out there. Oh yeah, uh, that's amazing because it's beautiful there, and it's so windy, right? And then the I think the currents are kind of tricky too, aren't they? Oh, totally. You have like three major current, three or four converging um, right before the bridge and the active shipping lane, and it's yeah, it's a whole a whole mess of of fun things to learn about. <laughs> oh, well, that is great. That is great. Yeah. But, you know, and I hadn't done any of that stuff before, before I moved into the city, I was a gardener and I, I, I had tons of gardens everywhere, um, which took up a lot of my time and I loved it, but I moved on from it now. <laughs> <laughs> Next phase. Next so phase. the last question I'd love to ask you, I, I know from prior conversations we've had, you are a, a big proponent of you know, surrounding yourself with um, folks who can be mentors or just just good people in your life and career. I'm curious when you think through the people you know who have been around you. Uh, who are some of those folks who have who have made an impact on your career? Oh, it's so many, and some you know I haven't talked with in so long. I always think, oh my gosh, I I owe them another call, but um. I, you know, I worked with a gentleman named Woody Benson, who's pretty well known locally. Um, and he had so much impact because there are many different points where I got exposed to opportunities like at, at Shiva, at, um, at Unica, even at Logmi and really because he made an introduction for me. Um, so, you know, it's been, I can look at many touch points there in my, my life. Um, and a, you know, a woman named Maria Serino, same, same sort of thing. And then so many people, you know, just, it's amazing. Um, now that I'm doing board work too, how many wonderful people have reached out with opportunities, like a bunch of the people over at OpenView Partners have been just phenomenal to work with. So I can't even think about all the wonderful people <laughs> in my life. It's been amazing. It's just been amazing. I feel that's one thing I always look back and feel incredibly so lucky and so grateful for. Well, Carol, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you on the show, and I, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to have this conversation with me. Oh, it's been a pleasure. See, and it wasn't scary at all. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. <laughs>